0: Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia coming to you on yet another uh, week. Uh, first of all, uh, a lot of you have written to me, uh, like asking where's the podcast and stuff. Well, uh, three weeks ago, I, my family and I unfortunately tested positive for COVID-19. Um so that that's why we had to take a, I had to take an unscheduled break from Mind Podcast Mind uh, Makers the website you of course saw a lot of you know articles and stuff like that but I am on the rebound I'm doing pretty well uh, by God's grace and you know the family is doing well too um a lot of people tweeted to me about this so thank you guys for all your wishes uh, good wishes and stuff I I did write on Twitter but a lot of you I know um, listen to us on SoundCloud and are subscribe to us on YouTube and may not follow us on Twitter or facebook or something but this is what happened and that's why there was no mind podcast for the past two weeks but we're back uh, uh a statutory warning i'm still on the rebound so i might be uh, coughing a little bit in the middle or you know taking taking a cough drop or here and there so uh, i am asking for your forgiveness well in advance but we are here and we have a fantastic episode uh for you and gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest I have author, columnist, uh, fellow uh, news junkie and cricket lover, uh, Ruchir Sharma. Hi, oh, Ruchir, how so. are you doing?
1: Oh, Thanks so much for inviting me again. It's great uh, to join you, you know, in a video podcast now, yes, the last absolutely. time we uh, you know, were audio only. At,
0: on. You know, At that time, we didn't know that we are in the middle of like, a pandemic that will go on for more than a year. I think we did in August last year, if I'm not mistaken
1: yes although you know time loses all meaning in the pandemic so if it was august if it was june if it was october
0: oh, the, no last, the last three weeks for me feel like like i i don't know a week or five days or something they've just gone like this yep. but um but welcome to mind podcast which always a pleasure to have you
1: thank you for having me again
0: and 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 what a week so i i Uh, I was talking to Pramod and we were talking about, you know, strategizing what to talk about on Mind Podcast and stuff. And then yesterday something happened and it was so incredibly ridiculous that I was like, I have to start with that. But before I go into the the Harvard scholars that we're going to talk about, um, I'm going to address one thing. Um, We are not going to talk into detail about the whole issue, the... Terrible thing that happened in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. You know, it was vandalized and, uh, you know, it was absolutely awful what happened. A mob ran amok. There was a rally, very controversial rally with Trump and all um, before. And, you know, then the Senate was uh, abandoned and they came back. This was happened during the electoral uh, college vote counting and stuff. So in any case, I'm going to discuss this next week. Uh, when there is Joe Biden's inauguration on 20th January. Uh, after that, we'll do a whole combined uh, US elections post-election uh, episode because post-election, it's been even more entertaining than the election campaign itself and what, you know, the horrific events of last week and what, have, what has happened. So we're going to do, uh, you know, we'll we'll touch upon it, but if you want a detailed discussion, I'm just going to tell you. But now that that's out of the way, Ruchir, Uh Yeah, we woke up, uh, or at least, I I, I don't know if you woke up to that, but in U.S. certainly, by the time the news came, uh, most of us were waking up. Uh, Miss Nidhi Razdan, who was uh, the journalist of NDTV and was being paraded as an associate professor of journalism at Mm -hmm. the Harvard University for the last six months, eight months or something. Something like Uh, that, yes. uh, She claimed she uh, uh, she was caught in a phishing scam. And that how she was duped into this for where they wanted to take her information and uh, stuff like that. But turns out, I don't think there is a designation called the associate professor of journalism. And e- even though she claims there is a school of journalism, she that's what she claimed in that NDTV piece today. It's kind of strange because I didn't see any associate professors of journalism in there.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's true. As uh, someone from Harvard, uh... Themselves yesterday pointed out that there is no school of journalism uh, at Harvard. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no journalism program except at Harvard Extension School, uh, where you don't get a degree in uh, in journalism. You get a degree in liberal arts, comma, with a focus on X, Y, Z. And that doesn't have any professors, doesn't have any departments. It just has adjunct faculty. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not what she had claimed. She, so she had claimed uh, that she had been offered uh, associate professor in journalism at the Graduate School of uh, Arts. Uh, and this was, you know, in June and then from September onward, started saying that, uh, yeah, I'm teaching at Harvard, uh, going on uh, podcasts with the Carnegie Endowment for Peace, where, you know, she painted this yeah, beautiful yeah. picture so, of no, yeah, uh, unfortunately,
0: unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, so people put out that link of 45 minutes, but, and I had heard that podcast before, but I remembered that in the first two minutes, there was this wonderful discussion where Milan Vaishnav is asking, Milan Vaishnava is asking about her classes and she's saying how she's going to teach about ethics in journalism. Yeah. So I, I, well, I we, put we've out, all
1: learned a lot about ethics and journalism absolutely. so you know she delivered what she promised so uh, yeah, we have to credit indeed, her for that.
0: Indeed absolutely so I cut that clip and put it on Twitter and I think in the last 12 hours that has, that clip has been viewed more than 50 50 to 60 thousand times I think my timeline is completely gone because people are plugging it but here's the thing and, 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 and this is why I mentioned this right uh, I, I, I did not mean to do a very uh, narcissistic self plug but Most people forget watching debates, podcasts and stuff like that about what things like these, what were said, right? You'd remember a specific issue. You would remember one or two things, right? But like when I introduced you today, I said, you know, author, columnist, uh, cricket lover and stuff like that, right? Now, if if you were, if you, after the podcast, if you went and said that cricket is the most, uh, you know, messed up sport on the planet or something, or that you columnist meant that you only write tweets and you don't write pieces for, you know, Mm -hmm. websites. That's a fraud. And I, I have to do some basic fact check before I, you know, introduce someone. And uh, Milan and uh, nidhi they were talking about the classes she was going to teach the courses and this had gone on on ndtv on us election night she was introduced as you know professor of harvard no one bothered to check that she was not listed not listed somewhere like this bothers me the most these are all senior journalists so-called senior journalists, fellows of you know endowment house like uh, think tanks and stuff and yes, they don't sir. do such basic research
1: They they claim that, uh, you know, they're there to speak truth to power and Mm -hmm. do brave investigative journalism. But uh, uh, it's clear to see, you know, how much uh, due diligence they do when uh, it's one of their own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like your good friend, Sadanandhume, who has uh, conspicuously, <laughs> not comment, <laughs> conspicuously not commented on this. I mean, he has. He, uh, I think, wrote to uh, Nidhi saying, take care and stay strong. Ho- hope whoever did this to in- is investigated and punished. And sure, we are not making light of, you know, anyone who's a victim of a phishing scam. That's a very serious allegation. But, you know, if she was... Was her appointment not confirmed? And if her appointment was not confirmed, if she was not getting a paycheck, if she was not taking a class, and if she probably didn't even have a Harvard email ID, what the hell were people doing, introducing her as an associate professor, at Harvard? And how did she go along with it for eight months?
1: Yes, and and taking it at face value when you know someone says they are you know an associate professor at Harvard, yeah. uh, you know unquestioningly without asking to see, you know, anything to back that up. Uh, it's, uh, it's you know, fraudulent and false on the part of the person who's doing that promotion. Yeah. So if someone is going around saying that they are something that they're not, mm. then uh, it doesn't matter what the intention was. It doesn't matter if they were fished. It doesn't matter, you know, who gave them this impression. The fact is, and you can't change the fact that you know, you took certain actions where you represented yourself to be something that you're not, where you misuse the brand name of an institution you're not uh, associated with in order to further your personal goals and your professional goals that you, you know, went on media uh, appearances and uh, you know, gave your expertise as associate professor at Harvard. You would give keynote speech, uh, speeches and, you know, did speaking engagements and uh, trained the next generation of journalists you know, from this, yeah. uh, you know, platform that you've given yourself. And, you know, what kind of person does that? It stinks of bad faith that, you know, normal people, when they start a new job, they wait to, you know, have... Uh, Met their other colleagues, they wait to yeah. have uh, received their first paycheck even before they put it on LinkedIn because you know, Nazar Nalak <laughs> you know, you, you don't want the evil no, eye. No,
0: you. Don't do it eight months before we start.
1: No, exactly. You, yeah.
0: Eight months, like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, eight months was the, uh, as long was my first ever job. That's how long it lasted. So if I had advertised for that by, by the end of the time, when it was over, I would have been advertising for my second job. Yes. Exactly. So, but, but you know, the reason I was looking at my phone here down because I have Nidhi's blog pulled up that she, uh, did. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, I was not a fan of NDTV, but my God, what is wrong with them? This is the headline of the blog. I'm not kidding. I am Nidhi Razdan, not a Harvard professor, but. Dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is like that old Hindi film, meh, or Meri Kahani Adhuri Shabdome, you know, all that <laughs> melodramatic nonsense. But mm-hmm. so here she's saying, that this was this was a plot of an elaborate and sophisticated phishing attack to uh, you know whatever she said before and then she said that I was invited to speak at an event organized by Harvard Kennedy School in early 2020 um, one of the apparent organizers I, I don't know what the hell an apparent organizer means but yeah apparent, you either
1: organize something or not
0: yeah I mean, but unless she talked to like the security guard and thought she was the organizer or someone I, I don't know right one of the apparent organizers of the event contacted me separately to say there was a vacancy of a teaching position and i would be interested and she's like i submitted my cv thinking a few weeks later she was interviewed online for 90 minutes and it all seemed legitimate and then she found harvard extension school and things like that but here is where the most interesting thing comes she says that the offer letter appeared to be on a genuine letterhead and contained all signatures of all senior harvard university officers she never names whose signatures were it were or who the organizer no formal names right all these vague things but then she's like Uh, they sought my information on a work visa again. I didn't think I had been told a work visa had been issued in us for me, for which we would be sent to me only when travel was required. And I would also need a visa from Delhi. I have never seen anything like this. Usually you get documents from us and you go get an interview in the embassy. And that's when you get the visa. Exactly.
1: Even
0: even the most basic people know this. I mean, she has traveled out of India. We know she has. So yes. that's how it works for tourist visa and for world visa. I mean, this is just the explanation is so strange. I, I just, I, I don't understand.
1: Yeah, I find it difficult to take this explanation seriously. And mm-hmm. one wonders mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, this seems to be the face saving option. Like, yeah. How bad is the truth? You know, what's the real story that, you know, she's, you know, confessing to being stupid? Because the alternative is fraud, that you willfully misrepresented yourself for six months, eight months to the public, to your ex-employers. You know, Mm -hmm. you showed up back on NDTV, you know, now no longer as executive editor, no longer as anchor, but as Harvard associate professor. Uh, And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's not something you can blame on being uh, manipulated by uh, by fishers you chose to do that nobody you know told you to do that nobody put a gun to your head and said oh now wherever you go you have to flaunt this status uh, the fishers didn't say oh you know congratulations you've got this uh, offer letter now please go forth and represent harvard on every public platform that you can find
0: exactly this is the more we think about it the crazier the theory seems
1: and what would fishers have to gain by doing this you know fishers if they wanted uh know, uh, financial uh, data or her mm-hmm. passwords. there's much easier ways to do that all you know all they would have needed for her to do is you know click at one point you know very early on in the stage clearly you know this person is okay with clicking on things and they would have disappeared what yeah. more can you milk from this person by you know arranging you know uh, fake interviews and then uh, telling them what they're going to be teaching and having a conversation about which classes you want to do what's in it for the uh, fisher and also that means that this isn't some anonymous fisher sitting in a basement somewhere in uh, you know some other country but, uh, you know, someone who you have had face-to-face video interactions with, you know their name, you yeah. know their voice, you know I mean, their face.
0: Why wouldn't you name them, right? Like, why wouldn't you name them publicly that this is what they call themselves? But that's also a separate thing. I think the, the reason why we're talking about this and people will be like, you know, it's just a journalist um, saying what she is. And, you know, why isn't this just a busting fake news thing? And why are you discussing about this? Because for three things, one... I think the whole assumption that should, they would get a position of an associate professor in Harvard without a PhD, you know, without anything, like anyone who's familiar with American academia or for that matter, academia and multi- universities across the world. But I can say because I went to university here uh, being, and I was involved in research, being an associate professor is no joke. You need a body of work and you need multiple, it's a multiple interview stage. You, you know, if for our stage, I mean, they had to talk to, they had to go through many stages, right? It's a rigorous process. So that's the first thing. Second thing, the cabal, the left cabal is so strong that one person made a claim and no one else bothered to fact check. And the funniest thing is these are the people who Twitter fact check participates with. I even after this happened, if you see the report on news laundry, but a hear report hai, which does which just reproduces Nidhi's statement, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't I'll really be her
1: press release. That's yeah. not journalism. That's stenography. Very good. You you know copied. Uh, you know, yeah. Just because they
0: don't grade. want to think on their own because news laundry started off as a very centrist thing, but now it's completely turned into this left wing you know leaning thing, and which is fine. But then don't say that we treat everyone equally. Just bashing Rajdeep isn't enough. Like you till till the till a news serious news portal does not. I raise questions about Ravish also. Still someone who claims to be that, you know, they raise questions about the right, but they don't talk about Ravish they, or they don't talk about Punya Prasun Bachpay or many others on the left. They only talk about Rajdeep, who I have a lot of disagreements with. That's just an easy punching bag, basically, for them.
1: I <laughs> have punching bag indeed. Huh? Oh, know, good
0: God. <laughs> I, I walked into that one, didn't I? I just... <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> uh yeah I, it was completely unintentional but i guess that just sums up the frivolity of 2021 it's been a it's been 2020 on drugs or something i mean it's, it's, it's insane but on in closing thoughts before we move on to the other thing so th- these were the two parts and the third part was you know how even after she was introduced uh like this for eight months people just quietly some of them deleted their tweets no one refused to question why this was done i bet you if anyone who they don't agree with, a popular journalist, if they had done this, they would have pounced upon them.
1: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I, th- there's, you know, all sorts of uh, examples of uh, uh, journalists who have fabricated their work or their status in recent times. You know, yeah. For example, mm-hmm. at the New York Times, there was Rukmini Kalimaki's uh, the uh, work on, on ISIS, you know, her yeah. podcast called Caliphate. You know, it wasn't enough that this person owned up to, oh, this happened and I'm very sorry. The institution, you know, also had to issue an apology to the public for allowing this to happen, for not looking into it uh, closely, because Mm -hmm. it reflects on them as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Similarly, uh, there was this hotshot journalist at uh, Der Spiegel, the German magazine, Mm -hmm. who, who was also found to be fabricating things. You know, the editorial board, you know is responsible for that as much as the person uh, who uh, who got away with it people only uh, look for opportunities like this when they know there's a high chance of getting away with it so you know this culture of impunity you've created you have to own it
0: no or mujhe question getting so vi- people have to see that even if tomorrow and i'm pretty sure nidhi is going to come back on tv uh, you know, on wire and multiple other left-wing platforms who who are completely, you know, won't ask questions. When people who want her to answer genuine questions whenever they come to her in a setting, do ask her questions. Be polite, be forceful, but you know, don't 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 let go saying, are, you know, or something. These are these are legitimate questions. And you know, WhatsApp University ka both This is WhatsApp harvard University, or this mm-hmm. is the real WhatsApp University, it seems. Yes. So anyways, that's 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 that for on the Nidhi Razdan thing moving on to the, the the other story that has dominated the weekend, you know, typically we talk about cricket for fun and everything and that's all is there. But the last one and a half one month, the last one month has shown a side of Indian cricket and India that I did not think I would see when I was growing up in 90s and watching Indians get pounded in australia and south africa i mean richard you and i both have harrowing memories of those two yes um and, and it's so bad that the, if you ask people what do they remember they'll say oh sachin and azar in cape town sachin at mcg Lakshman and sydney uh these four or five wickets here you never remember a match as a whole because in the match invariably india would be you know, pummeled. So yes. only thing you remember is individual performances, which were above mediocre and some, in some cases, extraordinary, you know, mm-hmm. that, but yep. what has happened in Australia is India has had a bunch of injuries so much so that in four test matches, they were had to field 20 players and only two <laughs> players have played all four. And players like T Natarajan who comes from 350 kilometers away from you know in a small city uh, Navdeep Saini who comes unfortunately who's injured as well comes from Karnal um, Jasprit Bumrah from uh, I, I had to throw that in because he comes from my hometown of Ahmedabad mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, not, not exactly a small city Before people are like fifth biggest city in India and you are introducing you it
1: Exactly like seven million country. people now
0: No no but Ahmedabad did not have did not produce that many cricketers 20 Twenty-five years ago, so
1: Baroda was the powerhouse for uh, Gujarat, the region. Yeah. Because but there's, now, uh, there's Gujarat and there's Baroda.
0: Yeah, but yeah. now Gujarat is, has, after it won the Ranji Trophy, and then you know, in the last ten years, uh, since Path Patel took over as the captain, and and dare I say, uh, a certain Mr. Shah took over as the GCA president, <laughs> it's it seems. No, actually, it has. I have seen a lot of improvement after uh, when Amit Shah took over as the GCA president. So um, you know. Um, uh, Baroda and Saurashtra actually have come a close second, but the Pandya brothers come from Baroda, you, yes. you know, and Cheteshwar Pujara and Ravindra Jadeja come from Saurashtra. So yes, yes, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. But tell me this have you ever seen this? So many fast bowlers is a bench strength, yeah. Shrinath Prasad if injured, so we would have this Paras Mamre and other people backing up. I don't so think
1: up... David Johnson was brought in to bowl spin. Yeah. In to, uh...
0: no, 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 uh, that is Noel David.
1: Oh, sorry, Noel David, yes. Uh, David
0: Johnson was our biggest, like our fastest bowler and he took two wickets and then he just sprayed the ball everywhere. Mm -hmm. So Noel David, I remember, he was called to West Indies just for his fielding.
1: Yes, exactly. That's the one.
0: So so how do you view this? Like the resilience of Team India is unbelievable.
1: It's it's good to see. And I think uh, it also is a product and a reflection of this new generation of cricketers who grew up seeing uh, how, you know, others played, particularly uh, Australia and South Africa, and uh, sort of absorbed that, you know, and you see it in uh, in uh, Coley, for example, who, you know, is described as the most Australian, non-Australian cricketer. And that's why they have, you know, the Australian media have such a love-hate relationship with him because they see the worst of themselves in it and the, uh, in him. And they see the best of themselves in him as well. So they want to love him, but, you know, he treats them the same way they would uh, treat our players 10, 15, 20 years ago. And suddenly then there's this invisible line which yeah. gets crossed. And, you know, oh, no, you know, this is against the spirit of the game. You know, you...
0: Uh, I, 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 I I don't know if you remember in 2014 and 15 when uh, Kohli went, uh, Kohli led a team of India to Australia and there in Adelaide, India almost pulled off the in, uh, unbelievable I think they were chasing 350 and in India was short fell short by 30 runs. Like it was almost what happened last test match. But then there was a game at the MCG, Melbourne Cricket, you know, the Boxing Day test match, and Mitchell Johnson kept bowling bouncers to him and Rahane, and they just kept pulling and hooking him. And I think he conceded more than 100 runs in like 15, 16 overs or something. And, and Bill Laurie was, uh, I mean, the legendary Bill Laurie was on air, and he was just having a ball. He's like, this is, is like, you know, it's on YouTube, watch it. And he's like, this reminds me, he said, "He's it reminds me of David Hooks, hooking Tony Gregg for five fours in a row. But he's like, that was rubbish because Tony Gregg is his great buddy. So he was just, <laughs> but this is like a great fast bowler bowling at 140, and Kohli was hooking, and you know, pretty much staring him down and dropping f-bombs when he had to so yes. this is a very ricky like ricky ponding i remember when Jawagal srinath hit him on his head in a test match in australia ricky Ponting was abusing srinath
1: yeah srinath <laughs> came to apologize srinath the guy who you know in the early 90s yeah. uh, on a tour of australia once uh, hit someone on the head and blood came out srinath is the one who painted at the yeah. sight of blood you yeah. know, a few years later, you know, he did it again to Ponting. Immediately he goes up, raises his hand and apologizes. And Ponting starts swearing at him and tells him to uh, to bugger off. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, these little things is what uh, Steve Waugh and uh, Ricky Ponting used to call mental disintegration. Yeah. Uh, and that's the real 12th man that the Australian team has had for a long time. That uh, you know, they deliberately do things. They, you know, push the line, push the line. They claim that they never cross the line. They're always pushing the line. Uh, and it's only others when they retaliate or re- reciprocate who cross the line, but yeah. uh, you know that's that's the trap. You know, they create this uh, this web of you know, aggressive, belligerent behavior, mm-hmm. knowing that if you don't respond. Then you know it preys on your mind and it mm. affects your performance. Mm. And if you do uh, respond, then mm. they've trapped you, and then they can complain about, oh, look at this person, you know, against the spirit of the game, this or you know, how dare you bring this guy up? Uh, you know, how dare you cross the line? Mm. Uh, I think the most infamous uh, one I can think of is Ramnirish Sarwan for the West Indies and Glenn McGrath. Uh, which uh, went completely out of hand.
0: Yeah, and uh, Venkat in had in uh, S. Venkat Raghavan, and uh, he was the empire at that time, and he pretty much just took matters into his own hands because yeah. the umpires ran the game at that yeah. time. The, the, they still do, but right now they have been like their wings sort of have been chopped off. But Mm -hmm. at that time, umpires be as if you know, and I never realized like if like Tim Payne, if you see Tim Payne, um, uh, the Australian captain, he believes he behaves like a whiny little baby, right? Uh, if a decision goes his way, it goes against him. He's going F, he threw F bombs at the umpire. And then Mm -hmm. he was talking, talking shit to the umpire and whatnot. I remember if if Sachin Tendulkar were to do that, Steve Buckner would have lodged fifteen complaints against him because he—that's how many times wrongly he gave him out.
1: Yeah, well, the people are so used to good behavior from Indian, uh, you know, cricketers or yeah. diplomats, uh, you know, because like uh, you know, cricket, international cricket is a form of public diplomacy as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you uh, break out from that behavior, then you're the strange one. You're the aggressive one. Whereas yeah. you know when uh, you know. Australians do it, particularly Australian wicket keepers, you know, uh, look at it this way. Adam Gilchrist was an aberration that, you know, he was well behaved behind the stumps. Tim Payne, Matthew Wade, these are the inheritors of a rich tradition from Ian Healy. Ian Healy is, you know, infamous in his homeland as well. Everyone hates him. He's an unpleasant guy, Uh, unpleasant personality. You know, to his teammates, to the opposition, known yeah. to be very whiny, uh, and I was very satisfied when they didn't give him his uh, farewell test uh, at yeah. the Gava, and they they let uh, Gilchrist play, and that he ended his career not on his terms, but on the terms of the board, yeah, because he deserved that,
0: yeah. No, absolutely. Gilchrist was an aberration. He walked when most Australians wouldn't. Uh he I, 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 I think Gil- Gilly is just a genuinely a nice guy. He's yes. that one guy you, he is what Sachin is to Australia, right? Like when Sachin went to Australia till his la- I think they would talk shit about the Indian team, but I have never ever seen Australians boo Sachin. Like whenever he walked in, they would give him a standing ovation. It's just that's how much he was respected in Australia. And I think if he got a bad decision, the Australia. Like I remember when Buckner gave him out in 2003 when the ball was, I think, a foot going a foot above the stubs. Yes. Shane Warne, who was a player at that time, was, was banned for drugs for a year. He he was on air with Tony Gregg and they were like, "This is a dreadful decision." And I never imagined an Australian player calling. Dreadful decision when the best batsman of the team is there. You know they'll say, oh, you know, touch and go and stuff. And Tony Gregg is like, no, this is. It's like I don't know how the hell he gave him out.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So, um, but yeah. So that's 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 uh, that's that's that's, that's the how thing. they
1: work. They look for the uh, weakest link. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't target. You know, even back then they didn't target Sachin or Dravid or Lakshman because they they burnt their fingers already. That if mm-hmm. you do that, then they they're very good at channeling their uh, aggression uh, you know with the benefit of the talent and experience they have at their hands exactly. but if you have you know a new player a youngster you mm. know who uh, might be experiencing nerves on the mm. you know the big stage mm. or someone who's known to have uh, you know a weak spot that you can exploit then you know they're pretty relentless like they did to Agarkar, you know with the bombay <laughs> duck fiasco you know
0: yeah He raised his bat or something. In yeah, Australia. when he finally
1: made a run in Australia, after that he raised his bat as if he had scored a century, and you know, everyone <laughs> clapped for him. So yeah, that was a you know a clever way of him to overcome that. And uh, he also got six wickets on his next tour, yeah. uh, you know, which uh, was part of his redemption
0: in in Adelaide. Yeah, but uh, but what what has been the most interesting thing for me is um, is who has I mean Sachin, of course, is a, a league of his own, right? So I'm not even going to uh, go there, right? But let's talk about who who has um uh, given it best to the aussies on the field in, from india apart from that and i would be kohli uh, mm-hmm. you know who's there kumble who yeah. reinvented himself in 2003 and 2008 and yeah. during that tumultuous series in sydney the whole kumble was the captain where he stormed into the press conference and says one team is not playing in the spirit of the game right i, I don't i don't expect ganguly to do that right ganguly would probably throw a chair on the field or something <laughs> <laughs> but But um, then Dravid, Dravid and Lakshman are obviously there, but then you have Lakshman who's like a stroke maker and then Pujara, right? So either people who are completely not bothered by like Dravid, Lakshman, you could tell them whatever you want, they'll just keep on playing or people who are so aggressive on the field that they will give it back. It's the middle-of-the-road players who usually find trouble. And I'm t- only talking about performances in Australia. I'm not talking about performances in India because that's a whole. That is why Harbhajan Singh has always struggled in Australia. Like, he, he yes, he can give it back. But when you know, he's under the pump, he gets a little iffy, diffy right? Mm-hmm. But Anil Kumble, when you give it back to him, he's like, "I'll show you." Oh yeah, name.
1: one of my most iconic memories of of Kumble, yeah. Uh, is, you know, and you know, as uh, is well documented, you know, he's uh, you know the player I look up to the most uh, on and off the field. But uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how many people remember this. But in 1997, there was this uh, very famous uh, match against Zimbabwe in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was famous for, you know, uh, the second innings, which was tied, where Robin Singh uh, oh, um, uh, got uh, run out by Mekhanesh, <laughs> off a wide on the last ball, yeah, so yeah. He didn't get enough to, to win it, but it was a tie. Yeah. Uh, so th- it was very famous for that final ball. Yeah. But what was also uh, fascinating was in the first innings, mm. the last over was bowled by, by Kumble. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and the batsman, I think it was Edo Brandes, hmm. the the rather the chicken obese uh, chicken farmer, yes, uh, who started whacking him over uh, long on and uh, and mid wicket uh, for sixes. Hmm. Uh, I've never seen Kumble that angry because hmm. there were words exchanged, and uh, then at one point uh, he gets Brandes out. Hmm. And that's the first and probably only time where I've seen kumble giving, you know, a huge send off to the vatsman and, you know, just yeah. <laughs> unleashing his vocabulary. Uh, once in a blue moon moment, I don't think it was ever repeated. Right. And uh, if you ever get the chance to meet him, please do ask him, you know, <laughs> about that, because I don't think many people remember. It would be great to hear. The, the real story. Right.
0: the the day I um, uh, get to meet Kumble or Sachin, like I've met, like I've met them for their autographs long back, and I've talked, like interacted with them. Um, uh, in '97, I think there was a one-off. Actually, it's funny. We talk about that. It was the launch of the Border Gavaskar Trophy in '96, ah, yeah. and they played the one-off Test match.
1: Yeah, yeah, um... where where Mongia got a century.
0: Correct. So I was in Delhi, and um, uh, I I don't know why I I, I mean as a kid that, that yeah I was growing up watching cricket and I wanted to meet these people and so there was the last day we were going out and we were like uh, uh, my parents were like let's go to the Taj for lunch and we just mm-hmm. went for lunch and we are eating lunch and then the Australian team walks in and uh, I was like I just fell off my chair and I took all their autographs because you know at that time people couldn't be bothered like uh, and security bhi utni thi jitni abhi hai hoti hai. so as a kid I literally went to all their tables, Glenn McGrath, I went to his table and just autographed and everything and then i'm like walking i'm like yeah, india and then suddenly sachin tendulkar walks in and then the entire indian team walks in right so it was a it was a but my point is wo indian team right so when you saw aggression from that indian team even then the australian team was more intimidating than the indian team
1: oh you know? absolutely there was a huge mental block uh, about yeah, this inferiority
0: huge and we were playing in home right we were in an indian hotel yet you could see the very difference in aggression that the, and and i'm not saying that they'll go and cuss at them or something is that the attitude the, the way they would walk or the way our, our folks would right so that that I, 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 it was such an auto than a 50 intensity right and i don't see that Kohli left after the first match in the tour right if sachin had gone in the 90s india would have been like you know 100 all out and 200 all out
1: yes and and not just because of you know his contribution to the scorecard but because of uh the the mental strength they drew from you know his presence
0: yes absolutely the comfort so to speak but but but, so to end with uh, the this whole series thing the reason i brought it up is even though they were recycling so many players i don't think i've ever seen them recycling Everyone seems to know their part. Everyone seems to fit in, fit right in. I mean, you had the first innings with the Australians where nine wickets were taken by the people who were playing their first test match. How many times have you seen that? Oh, very rarely. Yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable. I, I don't think it's ever happened. It's, that, you know, all debutants taking almost every single wicket. Uh, they, in, in it would India.
1: only be if a country was playing its first exactly. test in a long time. South Africa yeah. 92 or Bangladesh, Bangladesh uh,
0: in, in, yeah, even,
1: yeah, uh, Ireland.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying in a normal circumstance, in the middle of a tour, and especially the last match of a tour, you would never see this happening. No, no. So, so what What would you, I, at this point, I think Indian fans will be just happy with the draw. Uh, uh, because just the amount of injuries we've had is just unbelievable. But if they do manage to eke out a win, if Pujara just decides that he won't get out for like uh, two days, you know, mm-hmm. and India actually are in a position, it would probably rank in the top three wins of Indian cricket, wouldn't you think?
1: In terms of tours abroad, yes, because Not uh... even
0: tours abroad. Even tours, like I don't, I don't ever remember. This is an India second eleven that's playing. Mm-hmm. And if they manage to beat the best team in the world right now, that is twice, not once, yep, and yep. almost come close to beating the third time, that yes. would be something. No,
1: it would. It would be a massive confidence boost for both the current generation mm-hmm. of players and also mm-hmm. uh, send a message, you know, that uh, the the team is much more resilient than it was before. That there is a bench strength. Uh, mm-hmm. And that there's enough exposure now through uh, Rahul Dravid's excellent management of the younger uh, teams and in India A that uh, these debutants have already performed at the international stage, and they're not intimidated by this this environment.
0: Right. That Rahul Dravid for India A. Uh, some I think Gaurav Kapoor it was said this once that junior college ke principal ko best बनाया senior college mein junior ke best hi aane you're not going to get you are not going to get bad players because you have probably had and i it's a hard job he travels to everywhere the reasons that these people are where they are is because dravit travels everywhere and you know gets the gets the best of the best um, yeah but uh, i can talk about cricket for another hour and not get tired but uh, I I promised him we would be about 40 to 45 minutes so we are getting very close to that mark and uh, before I wrap up I wanted to ask do you have any quick thoughts to add on US politics before I wrap up with Indian politics like of what happened in US the last week or something or anything you know you wanted to talk about so oh, yeah, I
1: think uh, the US finally got to enjoy uh, some of its exports and its uh, you know own capital so you know they love uh, regime change they love uh, protests in national capitals uh, when it happens in Kiev uh, the national endowment for democracy goes and di- distributes cookies to them when it happens in uh, in Belarus uh, You, uh, you know, believe whoever says that they're the new president and say, yes, you know, this lady is indeed the new president, uh, regardless of what the actual election said. Uh, If it happens in uh, West Asia, then, you know, yeah, time for airstrikes and a no-fly zone. So yeah. I, I guess they're lucky they escaped that, you know. <laughs> but maybe you know, uh, maybe Burkina Faso he should have uh, should have sent its navy.
0: For, for me, what I found the most angry and uh, and, and that I'm I'm will I'll completely whine about this for one whole hour uh, next week, guys, or in a couple of weeks, um, is when people said, "Oh, this is U.S. This is not a third world country." Yeah, when the hell will you get rid of this first world third world mindset? there are democracies in the so called third world which are having much more peaceful transitions of power where rubbish is not said when parties go to power or change you know power what are you talking about like I, 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 and these are not just people on the right or the left or something this even i find some indian americans talking about this third world nonsense and I uh, yeah yeah
1: my friend <laughs> yeah you almost uh, said
0: the name let's not take names <laughs>
1: yeah uh yes yeah, so I, I think it betrays uh this uh colonial mentality uh yeah. among many of these uh so-called advanced democracies where they still see the world as first world and third world and yeah. you know they look at uh countries in you know so the preferred the right term now is view. the global the south
0: yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's,
1: the post-colonial it's world the global south you know latin america africa asia yeah. uh they see them as underdeveloped and you know not worthy of ruling themselves and that oh you know oh they're so undemocratic they're so illiberal they're so authoritarian yes that might be the case but it's because your interests your foreign policy interests and your business interests intervened in these countries to make them that way they didn't become like this in a vacuum and then to say that oh when it happens to us this is such a third world thing happening how could this happen uh no it's it's completely natural I, that i've that had it.
0: people who yeah, when i moved here in 2007 they'll be like hey this all happens in third world this doesn't happen in america you know and and i love us the whole idea of america is a very powerful idea i think uh the fact that they do have this whole american dream based on a you know free market capitalism idea where you know if you want if you have the will if you have it's, it's a great idea right it's it's and it's worked let's face it, it has worked, they, do, they are doing research and stuff. What is troubling is that when this idea is also juxtaposed with this very racist white worldview of the world, calling it first world, third world, or calling it those people, these people. And I'm not saying everyone does it. It's probably five, ten percent, even less, maybe of people who do that. But when I find uh, people from uh, India who migrated forty years ago, you know, subscribe to this or not counter it as forcefully as you or I would, I find it troubling. I'm like, how can you not counter it? I'm not saying it's like uh, you've spent more life, more of your life. In US than India, so you relate to US more. Your kids are American. I will
1: mean do that. Yeah, that's right.
0: right. But you don't have to lambast India just to prove that you did a great thing by coming here, right? Like,
1: yeah, exactly. And and it's not just the third world now. You know, I also hear the word banana republic used. Banana republics are called that because you know US fruit companies used to do coups. Used no, to have when the Mar like thing animals.
0: happened, right? Mm-hmm. The Mongolian thing. New York Times had this very reprehensible cartoon. A terrible cartoon. Uh, I was watching it with someone and someone said, hey, third world may be asa hota hai, Mars ka mission. I thought, I was like, what do you mean, third world? Maybe was, I was like, go to NASA, and most uh, many of the engineers you'll find are educated in third world universities that you like to castigate. I mean, don't don't say rubbish like this. So that just yeah. drives me nuts.
1: Like, yeah, and and also nuts. the use of this term is uh, is inauthentic because originally, first world, second world, third world hmm. meant uh, Cold War blocks. First yeah. world meant the Western bloc. Uh, the second world meant the Eastern bloc. So you know, communist states. And the third world meant non-aligned and neutral countries. The so third yeah. world, you know, also means Switzerland. Switzerland is a third world country by that definition. Sweden is a third world country by that yeah. uh, uh, definition. Austria, Finland, Yugoslavia, Cyprus, Ireland—these were all considered third world. Yeah. But now you've you know weaponized this term to shame poor countries for their poverty and that poverty is not you know god given the poverty is man-made by policies and if you know the world exists in a certain way today that some countries some people are rich and powerful and stable and some countries are not they're weak they're chaotic they're unstable it's because people want it to be that way because the people who have the power to shape global institutions benefit from having it this way and then you shame them that oh you know it's your fault that you're so poor it's your fault that you're so uh backward and then there's enough people whose minds are colonized or who have an inferiority complex who say yes oh yeah india is poor because you know we deserve it we're Mm -hmm. so backwards we're not secular enough we're not progressive enough we're not christian enough we're not democratic enough uh, you know, we're just, you know, these wacky Orientals who never knew anything until you civilized us. And this happens in many countries. It happens in many countries that experienced historical trauma. There are people in... Uh in Turkey who feel this way, there's people in Japan who feel this way, there's people in Russia who feel this way. But generally, you push these kind of people to the side and they you don't give them decision-making power. What's yeah, but, different in India is that these people run the country even today, the ones with the uh, inferiority complex. Regardless of who you the, vote into not the run, government. Yeah,
0: not the, uh, you, you mean on the bureaucratic side, but even... Well, yeah, multiple media, you know, judiciary, all yeah,
1: that. The, the establishment. The establishment is not, you know, it's called the establishment because it's established. It yeah. it exists whether you vote for one government or the other. And it gets what it wants, regardless of who's in and power. And that only
0: it... changes with new intellectuals, new policies and, you know, sort of a, a generational shift. But yes. in America, it's also weird because actually there are people who believe that the whole election was a sham, right? And so then mm-hmm. people tell me that, this doesn't happen in the Western democracies. I'm like, Bhai, this doesn't happen in India and Japan also. There are Eastern democracies who are functioning pretty well. Like, so Aisa hai we, we don't know how to run huge elections. In fact, the one thing I would say India probably does much, much better than U.S.'s elections. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, and except for a uh, few conspiracy theorists who their own voters don't take them, no one has really raised doubts about Indian elections in the last two decades or so. Yes. But you know, in, in closure, I would like to ask you, richard mm-hmm. This is an interesting time. Are we seeing a post-American world with the advent of uh, no? So no. Joe Biden is no means. The far left wing of the Democratic Party. No. Right? They are probably more skeptical of him than even the right right is in America.
1: Yeah, uh, he's a Republican. Yeah,
0: essentially he he is he's almost like uh, how what Reagan Democrat, what Clinton. You know, in the same mode of Clinton, uh, but not as much also because Clinton was also very popular. So what <laughs> he lacked in uh, in, a, in right of center policy, he made it up with his uh, charisma and his popularity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, can you believe that the only other president in the last two decades who was impeached apart from Trump was Clinton and Clinton had a much, much higher popularity rating when he, you know, went left office uh, because he was popular in spite of all the scandals. So how do you you relate, like, how do you think uh, this will pan out in U.S.?
1: So in terms of, uh, you said, a post-American era or?
0: Yeah, like do you think America has in it, like under Joe Biden, can America be a quote-unquote leader of the free world as they like to claim? Or are you going to see a diminishing position of America, which let's not forget, started with Trump and might be exacerbated with uh, Biden? Do you think that might happen?
1: Yes to both. Because oh. <laughs> uh, because the U.S. you know does want to see itself as the leader of the free world because it's uh, the one who invented this term, the free world. It defines what the free world is, and you know it leads by default because the free world is just a nice term for its client states, so NATO <laughs> and then Australia, New Zealand, uh, and uh, you know a couple of other well. Formerly Pakistan, uh, now it's, you know, found it more profitable to be a client state of other countries. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they will be keen to retake that mantle. They will be keen to project their power uh, again, you know, in uh, in softer ways. So through regime change uh, efforts, through the National Endowment for Democracy, through, uh, uh, through sanctions, uh, perhaps, you know, they will avoid a military confrontation with Iran. So that's something we can be grateful for. But uh, they'll intensify their efforts in, uh, in Belarus, in uh, Venezuela, uh, and uh, quite likely in India as well. And now that's combined with the second part of your question, which was, you know, will it also lead to them faltering? And the answer is yes, because this is also imperial overstretch. that the country is in a very fragile state, economically and socially. And the best use of resources would be on domestic consolidation. Uh, And uh, this is similar to what uh, Gorbachev uh, inherited in Mm -hmm. the mid 80s in the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union, Mm -hmm. where he found it more rational Mm -hmm. to withdraw from imperial overreach, Mm -hmm. so withdraw from Afghanistan, to withdraw the security umbrella and political support to East uh, Eastern European satellite countries and client states, and focus on domestic issues, Absolutely. he failed on both counts. Well, so ready. you know that was a disaster. no, yeah.
0: no. no. Oh, 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 oh. What was that? Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Glasnost and Perestroika became quite traumatic terms. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if they want to do a Glasnost 2.0 or a Perestroika 2.0 domestically, that's actually a better. Uh, strategy, Good rather plan. than just continuing with oh. the same, uh, let's say, Republican light economic policies of <laughs> Obama without uh, any structural change, because you're, you're should, just paving the way for a, uh, no. For no, a no, competent problem.
0: No. no, I was like, we we called you on Mind podcast to decipher the existing Pandora's box, not to open a new one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. oh, let me make one thing very clear in, in the bluntest of terms, superpowers don't have allies. They have client states, they have potential client states, and they have rogue states. That's no, so, how they see the world.
0: Well, I, I, I look as I look at it as a different way. I, I would always say allies and adversaries, but no friends and enemies.
1: <laughs> yes, That <laughs> you have shared interests. Yeah, uh, and you know you can have allies, but it's not you know at the level of bilateral reciprocity. No. They're not equals. One yeah, is clearly because, a superpower. Because... The other is a we first have to
0: see if it's Indo-Pacific or Asia-Pacific in the next few months. So Ah uh, yes uh we we'll, we'll see a uh, couple of years ago i asked someone who is now going to be like she was in a conference and i talked to uh, she was a, she's a democratic strategist nisha biswal and you, i mean she she was with obama and i'm sure she's going to play a big role on this and she gave a very positive-ish answer on india there was a houston india conference going on but she was also more skeptical of it than uh, you know um, she was not as forceful as trump was on the whole indo-pacific idea or as the trump administration yeah. was so i wouldn't say she was completely anti indo-pacific the idea of indo-pacific but ha um, hoga and we like ha hum karenge you know that is the difference so yes uh, before we end ruchi your recommendations for this week
1: recommendations for this week uh, would be a, a book that uh, has been written by a turkish uh, scholar at cambridge so aisha mm-hmm. Zarakol is her mm-hmm. name Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called After Defeat, How the East Learned to Live with the West. And she goes into uh, how historical trauma, so defeat in a war or partition, can lead to feelings of inferiority among a nation's population. Mm-hmm. And especially among its elite, mm-hmm. where they actually come to believe all the propaganda from the other side that, oh, look at you. You lost the war or you were partitioned because you're weak. You don't mm-hmm. know how to stand up for yourself. You're not modern. You're irrational. You're you know, not Western right. enough, modern enough, Christian enough. And how they take this so to heart that it starts affecting their foreign policy and mm-hmm. their own self, self-image. Mm-hmm. And that's something uh, that she calls uh, auto-orientalization. So, you know, there's Orientalism, you know, making all these Easterners look uh, like they're backward savages. When you start doing it yourself, that's auto-Orientalism.
0: Absolutely. Fascinating. This actually fits in exactly what we talked about. So it's a I mean, terrific yes. uh, thing. I am actually reading a book on Indian politics and sorry guys, we weren't able we didn't have time to talk on Indian politics but pakka next next week kareenge, uh called Jugalbandi by Vedaya Sitapati. It's about the legacy of Atal Bihari Vajpayee and the L.K. Advani and their friendship and um, so far I've uh, just started reading it. I've read the first couple of chapters where he talks about the past and you know the whole concept of his idea of Hindu nationalism and stuff and I do have disagreements with sitapati and all that stuff but one thing is he is a true scholar right He's he actually does his research I don't think he has approached this with blinkers of course he has his own views that he writes in the book it's a political book so you know it's your, It's not going to be but I would like to see these kind of political books more and no, not Nehruvian hagiographies hey, that Ram Guha peddles on us every uh, uh, you know 1000 pages long and it's the same rubbish written over and over again so yes uh, yes yes Huh. I, I
1: read uh, a review of uh, Jugalbandi uh, earlier today, written by uh, Swapandas Gupta, in mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he says that uh, it's refreshing to see an author who goes beyond just newspaper clippings to write yeah. m- post-independence history and actually talks to insiders and interviews them to get a full it is picture. It's a very
0: personal book that he has talked to, even Swapan has been quoted multiple times actually in the book. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he spoke to him and some very fascinating ideas that I had no clue about that, um, you know, w- what happened and so forth and how, what was the background of uh, what happened. Like for, for once, you we always view Advani and Vajpayee's avatar in the post 1950s, post 1960s thing. The most fascinating thing I found he said was that from 1968 to 86, Vajpayee was the undisputed leader of the BJP from 86 to 96 Advani was and Vajpayee became his number two yes. and then from 96 to 2005 Vajpayee again became the leader and Advani became number two and that yes. I find incredible I don't think there has ever been a situation like this in Indian politics in any party where the number one and number two have actually swapped places
1: No, I generally when that happens you try to stab the outgoing one in the back so that he never comes no. and troubles you again
0: Yeah, but at the height of his political career, Advani uh, uh, nominated Vajpayee as the Prime Minister. Now, one, there could be thousands of theories why he did that, whether he was an acceptable face or whether he was allies. Now we all know that suddenly the same people who were bashing LK Advani in 96 find him very uh, acceptable, suddenly, Mm -hmm. right? So... We knew that they were a bunch of frauds, right? It could just be a um, thing because Vajpayee was naturally a more gifted orator than LK Advani. And um, uh, yes, by 99, by 2001, Vajpayee was way past his prime, but at 96, he was just at the beginning of his ebb. So he he still had it in him and that famous speech. That, um, that actually, if you guys check out my Twitter timeline, my pin tweet, I just removed it, but it, it used to be for the last two weeks, that um, uh, clip about democracy and how that democracy is important. I had done it after I saw the scenes at Capitol and I was so angry. I was like, I, I, I sought refuge in Atulji's speech.
1: No, yeah. oh, it's a, it's a very iconic speech, and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people today they remember him as you know the statesman you know that he was from '98 to 2004. Uh, you know, speaking in a more measured way as he also got older. But in '96, you see, you know, a glimpse of the kind of oratory that made him famous and the energy oh, and life that he brings to that topic. Uh, absolutely, very dramatic. I, I, and it's
0: good I remembered him because two weeks ago, my uh, had I not been uh, COVID positive, I would have done a podcast around the birth uh, anniversary of atalji which was which is Christmas. So the podcast I would have done right after. We would have talked about him, but we didn't get a chance so I do read this book and there is a Netflix show that I watch called uh, Lupin or Lupin which is about France and it's a, it's a very uh, popcorn show about an investigative uh, you know uh, uh, criminal and stuff so two different things and um, my recommendation one a very serious book one a very popcorn show but uh, thank you so much Richir any closing thoughts before we let you go I am so sorry we've gone 15-20 minutes over time but this That's is quite all right uh, you know
1: it was uh, you know it was well spent on good conversations yeah. and uh, and i liked uh your use of the term investigative criminal yeah. because it, it uh, neatly tapped, uh, ties this up to what we started with
0: <laughs> oh god so this, this, this is this has been a, a podcast full of references counter references cyclical circular loop references so if you guys can figure out what we're talking about when we're talking about why we're talking about right to us uh please follow us on twitter like us on facebook uh subscribe uh the youtube channel And, uh, you know, let us know. And we'll be back next week with more. Thank you so much, Ruchir, for joining. It was a pleasure. Thanks
1: Thanks so much, Adit, for (laughs) inviting me and for the great conversation. Absolutely.